Welcome back to the Traders Point Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. Each week, we open up the Bible for just a few minutes and discuss God's Word together. We discuss its meaning and the ways in which we can apply it in our walk as followers of Christ. If you'd like more information about the Traders Point Church of Christ, you can visit our website at traderspointchurch.org, and you can follow us on Facebook and YouTube as well. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please take just a second to do that so you can stay up to date on all of the content that's put out on this channel. Thanks again for joining us, and enjoy today's conversation. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. We want to thank everyone for joining us this week. We're continuing our study through the Gospel of Mark, and we are in chapter 14 this week. We're closing in on the end of our study through Mark's account of Jesus' life, and we've got a big chapter to cover today, and Jeremy and I have been talking about several of these chapters along the way have proved challenging to try and get through in a a relatively short period of time. This is certainly going to be one of those chapters. Uh, We basically pick up uh, you know, with with Jesus uh, in in Bethany, and, and we're going to be essentially just hours from him being on the cross by the time we finish chapter 14. And so there are a lot of things that happen in this chapter, a lot of important events that happen in this chapter. But Jeremy, just before we started, you made a, a good point about we're, we're kind of leaving some of the specific teachings, certainly that we saw in chapter 13. Chapter 14 tells us about things that happen, a lot of events that take place, but it definitely has a different feel to it than the chapters we've been in previously. Yeah, I mean, we've made, you know, certainly the last several weeks, uh, going back to really the the back half of chapter 11, really all of chapter 12, all of chapter 13, where you had these these long discourses of Jesus' teaching, whether it be to big crowds, whether it be to very specific crowds of opponents, whether it be to just the four uh, of his disciples that he Mm -hmm. talked to in chapter 13, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. But yet here in Mark chapter 14, we kind of leave that behind a little bit, and Mark is really accelerating the narrative. I mean, he really is pushing the story forward a little bit. It's not that Jesus doesn't say things in chapter 14. He does. It's not that he doesn't speak or teach in chapter 14. He does do Mm -hmm. all of those things. But it really almost goes back to more of the beginning of the book, yeah. and this is what's happening to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and Mark is really pushing the story now of him finishing this level of teaching that he has. And, and as you made mention, you know, we're, we're not years or months or days or weeks as we have been. We are now hours, yeah. hours away from him being on the cross. And what's important to take note of is although his apostles may not know that and believe that mm-hmm. completely, Jesus absolutely does. He yeah. is fully aware of the very end. He's fully aware even of how people is going to make, you know, to operate. He's he's aware what Peter is going to do. Mm-hmm. He is aware what Judas is going to yep. do. He is acutely aware not just of what's happening to himself, but what's happening even with the people around yeah. him. And so he know he knows that yeah. he is hours from the cross. He certainly knows that. And so you have this incredible picture given to us in a long chapter, mm-hmm. for sure, where several things happen, but an important chapter, no doubt. And he's he's alluded to the fact that this is coming. I mean, three times that we've studied already, he has talked about his impending death. And so it's not as if this should be a surprise to anyone that's close to him. However, it still it still comes up on them quickly, and they're 
unprepared in a lot of ways. But you mentioned that that he is very aware of this, and that's one of the first things we see in this chapter is this anointing that takes place with a fragrant oil. And, and there's a couple around them that are a little uh, put off by that because it's a very expensive oil. And Jesus just flat out says in verse 8, she's done what she could. She came beforehand to anoint my body for burial. I mean, that, that's, as, that's as blunt as you can be about what's about to take place. He's, he's very much aware of the fact that it is very, very close to the time in which he is going to die. And he's, he's, he's speaking that way to everyone that's around him. It doesn't seem like they're fully comprehending what he's saying, but he clearly understands. Yeah, I mean, he made mention here, you know, it's interesting, you know, as he's being anointed with this expensive oil that, you know, the text tells us that there were, there were some there that were bothered by that. Yeah. And then they'll use the phrase, listen, we, we that could have been sold and given to the poor. And along the same lines that you had just talked about, he, he makes the point, listen, the poor you'll always have. You'll mm-hmm. always have the poor. But me, you're not always going to have. Yeah. She is anointing my body for burial. And so, I mean, he is, from the very beginning of this chapter, he's pointing yep. everybody in that everybody in that direction. And really, that, that sets up kind of the, the next section. We saw at the outset of this chapter that, you know, it's, it's during the time of the Passover feast. And, and that is something that obviously all of the Jews are going to be celebrating. And Jesus and his followers, no differently, are going to celebrate the Passover. And we see Jesus kind of making arrangements for that to happen. And of course, we know this is such a, a familiar part of Jesus's story, obviously because of what he does during this Passover feast with his disciples as he institutes the Lord's Supper, as he foreshadows his death and the sacrifice that he's making, and all of those things that take place over these next few verses. I think sometimes our familiarity with that can, it can make it almost um, easy for us to read this without really feeling the depth and the seriousness of what's taking place here. Uh, but clearly the Passover feast is something that was incredibly important to all of the Jews. This is something that they would make arrangements for, that they would partake of this Passover feast together, and it would be very meaningful to them because of what it looks back upon and what it reminds them of and what God has done for his people. And now here they are with the Son of God, taking this Passover feast hours before he is going to be the sacrifice that ends all sacrifices. And, and I mean, it should, I mean, it should almost give us chills to think about being in that room and, and hearing what Jesus says and, and recognizing what all of these things mean. It's incredibly powerful what takes place here. Yeah, you know, if we if we read this very quickly and we, we take note of only the, you know, the, the big pieces that we are familiar with, you know, the Lord's Supper being instituted, for instance, or or, uh, you know, Judas planning his betrayal, or even Jesus making mention of that. But but if we do that, we, we miss. We miss some other pictures, really, of Jesus. And I think there's an interesting one, you know, right here in Mark chapter 14. You know, I've often, I mean, Jesus's knowledge base mm-hmm. is impossible to comprehend. <laughs> it, it's impossible to comprehend. You know, it, it's easy to say, well, he knows all things, right? I mean, it's easy to say that and then to understand it. But sometimes we get glimpses, and I, I feel almost feel like as we work through Mark, that Mark has done a, a, a more of a job of that than even some of the other Gospels of giving us that insight of how Jesus's knowledge operates. So, for instance, you have really beginning in verses twelve through sixteen that section where they're making preparations for the Passover, and, and he says there in verses thirteen through fifteen. 
very specific things. You know, you're going to go into the city. There's going to be a man. He's going to be carrying a pitcher, right? And so you have these incredible details. And he goes in. This is what he's going to say. This is what you're going to say. He's going to have a room. It's going to be large. It's going to be perfect. He's setting up all of these very specific things. And then you have there in verse 16 that his disciples went out. They came into the city. And they found it just as he said to them, and they were prepared the Passover. And so it is nuggets like that mm-hmm. that still give us insight to Jesus and, and really who he is and who he remains and the power that he remains with, even up to giving himself as an at, to be arrested. Mm-hmm. Then he gives himself here. It's not he doesn't have less power or doesn't have less knowledge uh, that or he didn't know that he was going to be arrested there. He had all that knowledge. He had all that power, but yet still accepted that arrest. And Mm -hmm. just keeping that in the front of your mind, I think, is important. So much of these last couple of days of Jesus' life were uh, obviously overwhelming to his followers, specifically his disciples. It wasn't overwhelming to him, though. I mean, he he is, and to your point, I mean, we get these glimpses where he is just in complete control of everything that's going on, he this is not too big of a situation for him. He he is clearly in control both of himself and of the situation around him at all times, and that is evident. In those little, just those little glimpses, like you said, where he's giving these instructions about how to how to go and find this upper room that they're going to have the Passover feast in. You know, to think about what's going to happen in that room, to think about what's going to happen immediately following the events of that room, it doesn't even seem to phase Jesus at this point. Now, obviously, he has a, an emotional response to all of these things. I don't mean to say that he's not emotional around any of this or anything like that, but it does go to show that you can be both emotional and in control. And that is exactly what we see Jesus here. He is in complete control of this situation. He knows exactly what he needs to do. He knows exactly what he needs to say, and he knows exactly who he needs to say it to. And he's going to make sure that these things happen accordingly before uh, before ultimately he ends up on the cross. Yeah, and you know, again, it, it is his his understanding of the moment and how contro- in control he is, is when they're sitting and they're uh, they're enjoying this meal together, this Passover meal. He institutes the Lord's Supper. He's pointing again to his death that mm-hmm. we've talked about already, specifically of his body that will be broken, his blood that will be spilt. So he's pointing you know, to that directly. He's alluding to the idea of sacrifice. I mean, all of that is being pointed to. But it, it is here also at the table that, you know, he... he points out of what Judas is going to do. Mm-hmm. Now, Mark has already told us earlier yep. in the chapter that the plan had already been made, yep. and, and but Jesus is aware of that, and he, he's aware of that uh, specifically and makes a point about that. Even Peter's denial. Mm-hmm. He has far more knowledge about that than Peter does. I mean, Peter's the one that's going to do it, and G- yeah. Jesus knows it about it more than even he does yeah. on telling this is what's going to happen, and Peter's saying, no, that's not going to happen. And Jesus is like, it is going to happen. But in Peter's mind, he's like, it isn't. Yeah. But it, it, it is his complete control, or it could be easily be a time where he's so self-thinking mm-hmm. in so many ways but he is completely in control in the conversations that he has. I think the way he is able to do that as the chapter unfolds, you know, really his 
a dependence upon the Father and his relationship with him mm-hmm. and, and prayer, that all of those things are going into in this very heavy, intense moment of how in control ultimately Jesus is. And the apostles are out of control. Not to jump to the very end of the chapter, but the apostles are just simply out of control, but the whole way Jesus is in complete control. You know, it's hard. We we oftentimes can can fall victim to coming down on those guys Mm -hmm. really hard. And, you know, sometimes it's undeserved. I'm not so sure it's not undeserved here. I, it's really hard. I, it's it's difficult to to try and imagine being in their shoes, but but to your point, specifically with Judas and with Peter, uh, Jesus calls Judas out. Mm-hmm. Judas, to your point, had already made the deal, and yet there is still clearly. I mean, some of the other gospel writers I- expand on this a little bit more. They just either didn't really understand what was taking place with Judas or just refused to believe it. And then certainly when you see Peter's denial or Jesus predicting Peter's denial and Peter's like, no, it's not going to happen. You're telling the son of God that he's wrong. You know, what have you not been with him over the past several years and seen what he does and what he knows? If he says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And, you know, all of these things, they are... You know, understandably, I mean, they're drinking from a fire hose here, and it's a difficult situation to be in. But there are very clearly some deficiencies on their part in regards to their faith and in regards to their understanding of what's taking place, and even maybe to the magnitude of the seriousness of this situation. And I think that's evident with all of them. It's going to be even more evident as the story continues, and ultimately they scatter. I mean, Jesus ends up being essentially by himself at the end. And so all of them are unprepared to a degree uh, for all of these things to come. And you can see it in some of these stories uh, that take place. That Even even with the, the when Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray and the disciples fall asleep, like they are just not prepared. They're not ready for this. And, and it comes back to bite them. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, you know, as he goes there into the Garden and takes just Peter, James, and John with them, he he gives them directives, two directives specifically in verses thirty four. You know he he gives them two things. He takes them into the garden. He he is going to keep them in one place. He's going to go off a little bit further, and he tells them, "My my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death." He's being very open, very honest with them, and then he gives them two things: stay here, number one. And watch, right? Those are those yeah. are the things. Um, and then he goes off and, and prays, and he comes back and they're sleeping. Yeah. And he's you, you couldn't watch, you couldn't watch just one hour. And he goes off again. He comes back and they're sleeping. And and, and so you, you you see that he is acutely aware of everything that's out in front of them, and the apostles are struggling. Mm-hmm. They're struggling now. Again, it's understandable. Yeah. But being understandable doesn't change the fact right. that they're struggling right. here. Yeah. And Jesus, not struggling. No. And he really comes to the forefront of a lot of people in, this, in the story as ultimately the only one not struggling. Mm-hmm. Everyone else in the story is struggling, and I think that certainly, that picture that Mark is painting uh, is one on purpose. Well, and you can see, even as, as the story progresses, Jesus, even when uh, his betrayer comes, when Judas comes, when uh, the soldiers come to arrest him, 
you know, obviously, again, this is a situation where other gospel writers kind of fill in some details for us, and so it's it's really helpful to look at each account of this situation to kind of get a, a big picture of, of what's taking place. But all of them paint the picture of Jesus being completely calm and cool in the face of these soldiers and his apostles panicking. And it is, I mean, almost as if chaos breaks out. They, they simply lose their minds. They, they don't know what to do. And, you know, Peter's swinging swords around. And, I, you know, who knows where the rest of the apostles go and what, what they're doing. I mean, there's just chaos breaks out because they weren't ready for this. Jesus had tried time and time again to prepare them for this moment, and they weren't ready. And that is, I think, a, a huge lesson for us, certainly, because God tries to prepare us time and time again for difficult situations that are going to come our way, and he gives us every tool that we need to be prepared for that. And how many times do we find ourselves unprepared when difficult times come our way, when grief happens, when tragedy strikes, and we're not prepared? And, and, and this is we're basically falling victim to the same thing that the apostles did. Jesus gave them the opportunity, gave them the tools, gave them the forth, foreshadowing to be prepared, and they just weren't. Yeah, I mean, we see the sadness and simplicity of Mark chapter 14 and verse 50, you know, after he is ultimately arrested in the garden. And, and as you said, uh, Peter has swung swords. <laughs> um, Jesus has performed probably an incredible miracle, you know, in front of everybody. That Again, the other gospel writers give us good indication mm-hmm. of the impact that that had, even on the soldiers yeah. that were around and the people yeah. that are around. But then you have there in Mark chapter 14 and verse 50, then they all forsook him and fled. Now, we're told in just a moment that Peter is is following at a distance, Mm -hmm. but yet they've all forsook him and fled. And so now Jesus is is really going um, in his physical lifetime at the most taxing of things that he'll go through, and he ultimately goes through it completely alone. But yet even as this kind of fakeness of a trial Mm -hmm. begins here with the Sanhedrin, um, it, it is Jesus's full control. Yep. He, he's not breaking out of there. Uh, he's not, um, you know, uh, going and just uh, passing through the midst of them, as we see him, you know, in other places. Mm-hmm. He just turns the other cheek. He sits quietly, even though they're told that all false witnesses are bearing terrible testimony against him, and he just sits there quietly. Yeah, it is so, I mean, it's so disheartening to read this part of Jesus's story, and you know, you, you start to see him. He's going to be passed around a little bit between the Jews, the Sanhedrin being kind of the Jewish council, and, and then ultimately to to the Roman authorities as well. The the Jews don't have the authority to kill him. That's one of the problems that they are facing. They they don't actually have that authority, and so that's why they need the Romans involved in this to actually put him to death. But the Jews are going to make sure that they get a piece of this before he's he's pushed around to the Romans as well. And he stands before the Jewish council. And just as you said, they've tried time and time again to trap him. They've tried tra- time and time again to find him teaching something in error. They've been unsuccessful in doing that. And so now they're just making things up. Mm-hmm. And that is tragic um, but not unexpected. They they haven't been able to beat him. They haven't been able to catch him. And so now they're just going to make it up. And that's that's what they're doing. They just 
throwing stuff against the wall and we'll see what sticks and whatever it is, that's what we'll use to get him on the cross and, and send him to the Romans. And it's just a sad a sad picture to watch all of this unfold, knowing that here's the Son of God sitting before them, and they are just falsely accusing him of anything they can think of, essentially. Yeah, I, what I love about this section is it's a, p- a pretty powerful moment. I mean, there, there's a long uh, time that Jesus is not saying anything at all. Mark makes yep. mention of it. Verse 60, you know, the high priest stood up, stands up, he asks Jesus, do you do you answer nothing? These, these men testify against you, but he kept silent and answered nothing. And then there in verse 61, they ask him a question. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And now Jesus has an answer. Mm-hmm. He has stayed quiet against all the false testimony mm-hmm. and false witnessing that is happening in front of him. But now he has a question he's ready to answer. Are you yeah. Are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God, basically? And then you have there in verse 62, Jesus speaks. And he says, I am. And I use a New King James. I know you do yep. as well. There's a period there, yep. right? Yep. I am, period. And then he reiterates, you'll see the Son of man sitting at the right hand of God in power and coming, you know, in the clouds. And so here he's ready to speak. And what an incredible moment that would have been for these uh, Jewish leaders, air quotes, Mm -hmm. uh, is sitting there and they ask him, are you you the Christ? And he finally speaks and says, I, I am. I am the Christ. Yep. It's a powerful, it's a powerful testimony. And it's uh, exactly what the Jews needed, because obviously they don't believe that. And so what do they say? All right, that's it. That's blasphemy against God. We got you. That's what they needed. And, and the, the, the irony of all of this is that it's Jesus proclaiming the truth about who he is, and, and the impact that that should have on everyone around the, him is not the impact that it does have on everyone around him. And it really is, it's the last nail in the coffin, so to speak, because that is what they need then to, to push this quote-unquote trial forward. And it's, it's kind of a sad end, and we see they, they beat him, they strike him with their hands, they blindfold him, and now ultimately they're going to send him off to the Romans to finish the job uh, here. But right at the very end, we get this going back to Peter, as you mentioned, he's kind of following from a distance. He certainly doesn't want to be associated with Jesus, and that's part of the problem. But he's kind of watching all of these things from the distance. And everything that Jesus said just hours later is going to come right back to his front door as he's watching all this unfold. And I think there's a powerful application, I think just simple application, of uh, of God kind of making the point, and he does, not just with Peter here, but man, all the time throughout Scripture, is that you just simply cannot have a relationship with God from a distance. You just simply yeah. cannot do it. And that if you're trying to have a relationship with him at a distance, it yeah. just simply does not work. Yeah. And Peter learns that lesson. He tries to be connected at a distance. He gets called for it, basically. I know you're standing far away, but I think you have a great relationship. I think you are close. Mm-hmm. You're pretending to be far away, but I think you are close. And, and Peter says, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm not close. And that is the, the, the scary temptation yep. of where, are we with Jesus, right with him, or are we trying to do something from a distance? And as Peter learned, you just simply can't. You can't do it. And so the rooster crows, and he remembers what Jesus had told him. And the last verse of this 
of this chapter is a sad one when he thought about it and he wept. And it all comes back to him as to what he had just done. And so we kind of close this chapter in a very sad place for both Jesus and for Peter and for the rest of the apostles as well. And, and chapter 15 is going to uh, continue to tell the story of, of the next couple of hours and how ultimately Jesus is going to be nailed to the cross. And we will talk about that next week.